Take your Bibles out and turn with me to Luke, Luke chapter 1, if you would please. Luke chapter 1, I want to talk to you this morning, the subject matter, the true spirit of Christmas. The true spirit of Christmas. I mentioned to you last week and week before last too that this Christmas season, I want to cover just some very traditional Christmas narratives. Um, the angel's announcement to Mary, the wise men, the shepherds. So we're going to be looking at some very traditional narratives at this time of the year. I believe that uh, even unchurched people come to church at Christmas to hear some of the good old stories of Christmas. Amen? And so we're going to be looking at those. And uh, the one this morning out of Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 26. Would you stand with me? for the reading of God's Word. The true spirit of Christmas. Scripture says there, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in the womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. 
And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel. In remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Father, I pray that you would bless both the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May your spirit speak to our hearts. Lord, may we be gripped afresh and anew with the story of redemption that we celebrate at Christmas. That you condescended to us in the incarnation and you died for our sins. We thank you for such love, such mercy, and such grace. Lord, may every moment of every day of our lives be changed because of the good news of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want to begin by asking you a very obvious question. And that obvious question is, what is Christmas all about? What is this season of the year all about? People talk about this season of the year. People talk about the spirit of Christmas. They say all the time, I need to get in the spirit of Christmas. Have you ever heard people say that? Of course you have. I've heard people likewise say, I just can't seem to get in the spirit of Christmas this year. I'm having difficulty with all that's going on in life. In fact, it was just last night at one of our Sunday school uh, class Christmas parties. There was someone at our table saying because of their family moving away, their kids and grandkids moving away, she said, it's very difficult for me to get in the spirit of Christmas this year. What does that mean? I know we've all felt that way at certain times. What is the spirit of Christmas? Well, it means different things to different people. To some people out in the world, the spirit of Christmas means, you know what? This season of the year, they're going to turn a little more to alcohol and parties. In fact, the alcohol industry, the liquor industry tells us that at this time of the year, their sales typically go up by millions and millions of dollars. So to some people, they turn to substances like that. To others it means calling a truce and not arguing around the family table until the holidays are over. For some the Christmas spirit is captured in the sending and receiving of cards expressing goodwill and joy. To others it's all about going to the malls, the shopping centers and buying gifts and and sharing gifts with one another around the tree in the family room on, on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve. 
For still others, namely those who are in immense pain, it is a time of immense sadness and depression. As the joy of other people seems to remind them all the much more of how badly they hurt inside. As one poet put it, Christmas is a bitter day for mothers who are poor. The wistful eyes of children are daggers to endure. Though shops are crammed with playthings, enough for everyone. If a mother's purse is empty, there might as well be none. And then the poet ended with these very sad words. My purse is full of money, but I cannot buy a toy Only a wreath of holly for the grave of my little boy. How sad. But you know at Christmas for some people that's the way things are. But really what is the true Christmas spirit? I think from Mary we learn what the true Christmas spirit should be. We look at her and we see what her response was to the news of the birth of Jesus. The birth of the very one who was going to be her Savior also. How did she respond to this news? And what does her response teach us about what our response should be? Let's look at that this morning. First of all, the true Christmas spirit involves believing God. Believing God. In verse 26 it says, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was, was Mary. Notice that the Bible says here in verse 26, The angel comes to Galilee into a city named Nazareth. Now that in and of itself is somewhat of a surprise. If heaven was going to make an announcement, this is not where we would expect that announcement to come. We would think maybe of the announcement going to the political capital of the world at the time, which would have been Rome, or the intellectual capital of the world, which would have been Athens, or the religious capital of the world, which would have been Jerusalem. We would expect one of those three cities, but it's not one of those three cities. It's this little place known as Nazareth in the hill country of Galilee. It's a small town. Small little country town. One of those little towns that growing up in it, you do something wrong and by the time you get home, your mama and daddy has already found out. Some of you remember growing up in little towns like that. I envy you a little bit. That was not my experience. I grew up in Charlotte. Now, I developed a love for the country, too, in my first church out of seminary uh, in the southwest portion of Virginia. The Blue Ridge Mountains, a beautiful area. I enjoyed the outdoors and the scenery and the wildlife. But I didn't grow up in a setting like that. But that's the type of setting this was. The message of Christmas went to small little Nazareth. It's one of the towns Connie and I had the privilege of visiting a couple of years back. It's still a small town. 
There's lots of shops along the streets and sidewalks and a lot of crowded pedestrian traffic, a lot of it tourists, but it's still a very small town. And scholars tell us that in the first century, at the time of this narrative here, Nazareth probably only had somewhere between 200 and 250 people. That's all. And right near the church of the Annunciation, there's a cave in the ground. You step down a few steps into a big a cave uh, room under the ground, and, and it's probably eight or nine hundred square feet. And off the off that big room, there are several other small rooms. And, and you're told visitors to the area are told that that might have been Mary's home. If not, her home would have been very much like that. Some believe Mary's probably only 12 years old, maybe 13. Girls back then could get married when they were 12, boys when they were 13. Scholars say that she's probably certainly no more than 15 years of age in this story. And this small insignificant town to a young poor girl is where the angel appears with this announcement that changes all of human history. The angel Gabriel went to Mary with a very special piece of good news. And I suppose it could be a bit troubling. What if you woke up one night and the angel Gabriel was perched at the end of your bed? It would be a little shocking and troubling, wouldn't it? It must have been a little startling for Mary. And Mary was told by the angel that she was the favored one. Imagine that being God's testimony of your life, that you're the favored one. Now Mary must have been quite a special young lady. She was devout. She had kept herself pure. She was a godly young woman. Don't tell me that God doesn't take notice of things like that. And God came to Mary who was engaged to Joseph and he had a very special work for her to do. Even though she was a virgin, she was going to have a son through the power of the Holy Spirit. Ladies, think about how puzzling that would be. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? It was puzzling to Mary. What are people going to think? Well, you know what people are going to think. But Mary listens on and look at how she responds. Verse 38, Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Folks, what's that? It's a blank check with my life, isn't it? Lord, I believe you. I accept your word. I believe it. I take it by faith. May it be unto me, God, as you have said. That is faith. She teaches us a lot about faith at this time of the year. You know who I think Mary is being contrasted with? I think Mary is being contrasted with Zechariah in the earlier portion of Luke chapter 1. The earlier part of the chapter tells all, us all about him. Remember when the angel Gabriel came to him and said that he and Elizabeth were going to have a son, John the Baptist. Initially, Zechariah did not believe. 
And you remember what God did? Struck him with silence. Here's a godly man. He's old. He's walked with God many years. He's known God. He's seen God work. And yet he does not fully believe. Now that's not so hard to understand, is it? We've all been in his shoes at some time or another. But amazingly, here's this young virgin by the name of Mary. And she's told the impossible. That a virgin is going to have a child, a son. And she believes. This ought to tell us volumes about Mary. What an example she is to us. We need to trust God. We need to accept what he says. We need to have faith. Because as verse 37 says here, it says nothing is impossible with God. Amen. Isn't that a great verse? Nothing is impossible with God. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. This Christmas, believe God. Read His Word. Listen to His Word. Believe His Word. Trust Him. I want you to remember Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9 says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He'll give you light. Are you in darkness Come to Him. Do you need counsel? Are you struggling with something? He'll give you counsel. He'll give you strength. He's the mighty God. He'll give you peace. He's the Prince of Peace. What's everybody in the world, everybody in in the right mind at least, what's everybody in the world want today? They want peace. He's the Prince of Peace. The world is looking for something that they're not going to receive apart from the one who is the Prince of Peace. Do you believe that? I hope so. Psalm 37 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He will do it. Again, He comes to her and tells her, Gabriel comes to her and tells her this great news and she believes Even Elizabeth recognizes the magnitude of Mary's faith. In verse 45, Elizabeth says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Again, believe God this Christmas season. Read His Word. Believe it. Trust Him. Let Mary be a model to you. Let Mary be an example to you in regards to faith. In John 1, the Bible says, He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Believe God. 
Secondly, the true Christmas spirit involves serving God. Look at verse 38. What do we read there in verse 38? Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it, me to, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Again, Mary, such a wonderful example here. Mary is saying, Lord, I'm your servant. Go ahead and do with me whatever you want to do with me. For I am yours. I want to be your servant, your bondservant. A bondservant was the lowest of the low. A bondservant was even the servant to the other servants. And Mary describes herself that way. Lord, be it unto me as you've said, I'm your bondservant. I want to be that way, don't you? When God works in the world, usually He does so through men and women who will believe Him and serve Him. You can go all the way through the Bible and make note of this. Sometimes in the Bible, God used unbelievers. Sometimes He used angels. Sometimes He even used Satan and demons to further His purposes. But usually the way God worked was to use simple, ordinary, everyday people who were willing to believe God and then out of that belief or faith to serve Him. You want to be more like Mary? Then be a servant. Believe God, trust Him, take Him at His word, be a servant. Jesus said to his disciples on one occasion, that's the way to be great in God's kingdom. They were traveling on one occasion to Capernaum and Jesus was walking way up ahead of his disciples and they were talking, they were arguing among themselves and they didn't realize Jesus was listening. They got in the house and Jesus said, what were you talking about on the way? William Barclay calls it the silence of shame. What happened next? They wouldn't respond. Because they had been arguing about who was the greatest among them. And Jesus said, you want to be great? Be the last of all and be a servant of all. You and I need to be servants of God. The privilege we have in life of being a servant of God. Mary was a servant. Again, a blank check. God, whatever you want of me. Think of it, folks, with all the ridicule, all the mockery, all the accusations that Mary, no doubt, was going to endure from some people around her. Yet, she said, Lord, I'm your servant. May it be to me according to your word. She was a servant. That's one of the characteristics the scripture highlights of this young woman. There were other young beautiful virgins in Israel. Mary was not the only one. I'm sure there were many. Just like in Queen Esther's day. Many others. And yet God chose Queen Esther. And here in our passage today God chose Mary. She had a believing heart, a trusting heart and a servant's heart. You know, if you want to be in a position one day to get a greater assignment from the Lord, you know what you need to do? Be faithful with what God's given you to do now. Some people say, Lord, I, you know, they, they, they read of others, they hear of others and the great things others do. Lord, why can't I do? Why don't you lead me to do something like that? And God says, you're not even faithful with the little things I give you. 
You want a greater assignment from God? Be faithful with what he's called you to do right here, right now. The parable of the talents. Remember that parable? The master went away on a long journey, called his servants to him, gave to one five talents, one two talents, the other one one talent, and he went on his journey. And after a long delay, he came back. Jesus is coming back one day after a long delay. And that was judgment day. And they had to give an account. The guy with five had been faithful. He got five more, got more opportunities for service. The guy with two, two more, more opportunity. He was rewarded with more. The guy with one was unfaithful. He was a poor steward. He had not even served with the talent he'd been given. And the Lord said, take his talent away from him and give to the one who has five. For to everyone who has, more shall be given the one who has not. Even that which he has will be taken away from him. You want more responsibility? Be faithful with the responsibility you have. That's service. A life of faith steps out and serves. James reminds us of that in James 2. What use is it, my brethren, if somebody says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? He talks there about a true faith that saves is going to be a faith that works, a faith that serves. This Christmas, put a little feed on the faith that you say you have. What's God asking you to do? What spiritual gift do you have? If if you're saved, you have at least one spiritual gift. At the moment of your conversion, the Holy Spirit sealed you as belonging to God. And at that moment, He also gave you at least one spiritual gift that you are to use for the building up of His body. Are you being faithful, a faithful servant with what He's given you to do already? Again, Mary displays a servant's attitude, blank check, Lord, here I am. Mary believed. Mary served. She was a bond servant. Thirdly, the true Christmas spirit involves worshiping God. Look at verse 46. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Folks, what Mary is doing here was not strange. It's normal. When we ponder the great things God has done, worship ought to be the natural outgrowth of that. Elizabeth worshipped. The angels worshipped. The shepherds worshipped. Simeon worshipped. Anna worshipped. The wise men worshipped. They all had the same response to the good news that you and I celebrate at Christmas. And look at what they did. They all worshipped. That's the true spirit of Christmas. The news that God has invaded the human race, come to this sin-drenched world, this fallen humanity. He's entered into our suffering and darkness with us, yet without sin, so that he could go to the cross and bear our sin. Folks, that ought to provoke a response of worship and gratitude. Mary worships. 
And what is it we could say about her worship? First of all, we could say her worship was celebratory. Look at what she says here. My soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. My soul exalts the Lord, my spirit. Folks, what is it in the creation accounts that sets mankind apart from everything else? The Bible says in Genesis 1, when God made man in his image, male and female, he created them. The Bible says next that God breathed into Adam a living soul. You and I have a living soul that hungers for God. And that sets us apart. We were created to worship God. Mary says, my soul exalts the Lord. My, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. She's praising God. She's worshiping God. Now folks, our worship can be done in the wrong way. Isaiah 29, the Lord said, Because this people draws near to me with their words, honors me with lip service, but their hearts are far from me. Jeremiah 7, Behold, you're trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, and offer sacrifices to Baal, and walk after other gods that you've not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all these things? God says you live your life any way you want to live. Then you come and worship and you sing praise to me. You leave my house of worship and you go back to living however you want to live. That's not worship. God's calling on you and I to authentically worship him. And Mary did that. Mary said, my soul exalts or magnifies the Lord. And the word that's used here uh, is megaluno. Mega means big, great, large. We speak of megaphones, a speaker that's unusually loud and powerful. It's kind of like Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians 1, whether by life or death, I just want my life to magnify, make much of the Lord. Mary is saying the same thing here. She wants to magnify God and make his name large and known. She wants to lift his name up and proclaim it as being great. She goes on here to talk about her soul rejoicing. C.S. Lewis said, how long for you since you were surprised by joy just bursting out from inside of you? How long since you were so overjoyed? Folks, with our minds, when we comprehend what it is God has done for us in Christ, we can't help but worship. If we really understand what it is that God has done to save us from the pit and to redeem us and to write our names in the Lamb's book of life, how can that not provoke worship and gratitude in us? Her worship is also humble here. There, there's no pride in Mary. She doesn't say, ha, 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 God chose me for a reason. Look what God told me. In fact, she plays herself down a negative way. Again, she says, I'm just a bond servant. She's poor in spirit. 
That's the first beatitude. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. There's the recognition here that she makes that God is far removed from the proud. And so the way up is to go down in humility before God. Mary was in wonder over being chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. Folks, it ought to put us in a state of wonder that the Bible says through Christ that we have been made the sons and daughters of God. Amen. The fact that we've been redeemed through Christ and are the children of God, that ought to cause wonder and praise in us just the way it did in Mary. Her worship recognizes the work and mercy of God. Then her worship, we see it's focused on the right person. Look at what she says in verses 46 and 47. She says, uh, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary recognizes that she needed a Savior too. Folks, there is no scriptural justification for the worship of Mary. Mary should be respected. Out of all the women on earth at that particular time, God chose her, so we honor her, but we do not worship her. There's no biblical warrant for that whatsoever. In traditional Roman Catholicism since the Council of Trent and then an encyclical that Pope Leo gave in in 1891, they talk about how Mary is our co-redemptress, our co-redeemer. That we get to the Father through the Son, but we get to the Son through Mary. No, there is no biblical warrant for that whatsoever. None. We don't pray to Mary. We don't worship Mary. Again, Mary herself and her worship is focused on the right person. God, my Savior. She's recognizing her need. We need to worship God that way. Recognizing our need in humility. Christina Rossetti was a poet who lived from 1830 to 1894. She was the daughter of Italian immigrants, a woman of great beauty. She was a devout Christian too. Throughout her life, she wrote poetry that was a tribute to Christ. She writes, In the bleak midwinter, a stable place sufficed for the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. Angels and archangels may have gathered there. Cherubim and seraphim filled the air. But his mother only in her maiden bliss worshipped the beloved with a kiss. She concludes by saying, What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I'd give him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. But what can I give him? I give him my heart this Christmas season does he have your heart have you believed on him and has that belief changed your life have you been redeemed by the blood of the lamb have you been born again folks I did not ask you if you joined a church okay 
You know, we've done something very, very tragic today. And, and it's going to be very damning and condemning for multitudes. In evangelicalism today, we have reduced the great biblical doctrine of redemption. We have, we have reduced that rich biblical doctrine down to nothing more than saying a quick little prayer and then going out and just continuing to be whatever I was. That is not the biblical doctrine of redemption. Has the spirit of the living God gripped your heart, convicted you of your sin in humility? You fell on your face before God. You turned your life over to Christ. You were made a new creation in Christ from the inside out. You were dead spiritually and dead to the things of God. And you've come alive to God and the things of God. Folks, that's redemption. That's conversion. And if that's not happened to you... I don't care how many prayers you've said, you're lost. Have you been born again? Jesus told a religious man, Nicodemus, more religious than me, more religious than you. Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. I'm not asking you about a prayer or a commitment card or even your baptism. Have you been converted? Have you been redeemed? Have you been born again? If not, this Christmas season, you need Jesus. Believe on Him. Trust in Him. Come to Him. Be His bond slave. Lose yourself in service to Christ. Be obedient even in small things. If you are, there's no telling what he might have for you down the road. And worship the Lord. He is more than deserving of your worship. Father, I pray that this Christmas season that we would exhibit the true spirit of Christmas. What you would have us do in our hearts and lives. May we believe you, may we serve you, may we worship you, and may we worship you correctly in spirit and in truth. Lord, I pray for that one right now who needs to come forward and say, Pastor, I've never been born again. I've never been made a new creation in Christ where I came alive to the things of God. Pastor, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, but I want that. I'll pray with you. Others will. I want to challenge you this Christmas season also. That amidst all the busyness that we take time in our lives to get alone with God and get quiet and be still and worship Him. Lord, help that to be so in each of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.